So there's a funny little coincidence going on. Uh, when you appeared on this show the first time, season <laughs> one of Daredevil was on Netflix, and now you're here for the second time, and season one of Luke Cage is on Netflix. Yes. <sighs> Wait, it came out yesterday, didn't it? That's right. Uh, I saw a preview, because I went to an event that was called Empire Live, uh, the the Dome at the O2, mm-hmm. um, and uh, Mike Coulter was there, and oh, he did wow. a preview, and it was, it, we got to see like clips and stuff, and we saw a couple of trailers, and he was there, he was really, he was hilarious actually, and oh, I am so psyched for this series, I can't wait! <laughs> I am about, uh, I'm about, I can't remember if I'm three episodes in or four episodes in. Netflix will tell me as soon as I start it back up. Um, but yeah, I, I came home last night and I already just really started digging into it. I might have to cut this whole episode short just so I can go watch some more Luke Cage. <laughs> I wouldn't blame you. I haven't got to it yet because I actually, funny enough, I I found, I started to download, um, I was renting the uh, the dressmaker. Yeah. So I was like, you know what? I've got time. I can watch some of it. I'm halfway through it though. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> but um, I think after I finish watching that, I'm going to go watch Luke Cage because... Uh, I can't wait. <laughs> I guess this, I guess this means that I'll have to have you back on right around the time that the Defenders drops next year, and just keep a nice little symmetry. Every time there's a Marvel Netflix show, Katie shows up on the yes. podcast. Yes, that's a brilliant <laughs> idea. Also, I can't wait for that. <laughs> of course, me neither. <laughs> Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil, Toronto, Canada. You are listening to episode 164 of the Matinee Cast. It's the movie loving podcast of my movie loving website, thematinee.ca. Your home for cinematic passion and perspective. There is a rite of passage that many movie bloggers go through. It's a moment where your work takes on a little bit more meaning, a little bit more weight and quality, and you think to yourself, I should rebrand. It's like something you started out doing just for kicks has actually gone and become part of your identity, and suddenly you want to give that identity a little bit more shape. Uh, My guest today went through that this past year, and... um, when she last appeared on this show, she was representing ever so ethnically confused. She now arrives as the brains behind She Likes Movies. We are across a wire to London, England, where we welcome the brains and talent behind She Likes Movies.com uh, to the show. Welcome, Katie Hogan. How are you? I'm good. I'm doing great. Thank you. How are you? I'm I'm very well. I'm I'm in this weird little space kind of between holidays. Tiff is behind me. My travels are ahead of me. Um it, it feels like I'm going to be packing an awful lot into the next 10 days, but uh I I I almost didn't really have time to podcast, but I wanted to get some more shows out. So um so thanks for that. And uh and you were mentioning uh just before we went on to air um are my TIFF adventures. I just want to take a quick second and thank everybody who uh, followed my protracted TIFF experience this year. Um, the audio postcards that I was sending back, all of the uh, reviews that I was posting um, from my uh, TIFF with women where I saw nothing but films directed by female filmmakers. Um, it was a lot of fun and um, got a lot of great interest out of that. So thanks for everybody. But today, on episode 164, we'll be discussing a film that came out a little while ago, but um, we didn't want to let it fly under the radar, so we're reaching back a little bit uh, and talking about Hunt for the Wilder People. Um, we'll be turning the record over to play the other side, but first, we need to learn more about Katie. This is Know Your Enemy. Know 
So Katie first appeared on episode 135, where we talked about While We're Young. We learned that the first film she'd seen in a theater was The Lion King. The last film she'd seen at the time was Excess Baggage. The worst film she claims she has ever seen is Love Actually, but we still like her anyway. The unseen (laughs) classic or essential uh, at the time was North by Northwest. Have you seen it since? Yes, I have. Um, I really enjoyed it, but... um... It's, it still doesn't, you know, there's something about it that didn't live up to my expectations of it. But I think it's because I just hold Rear Window and Lifeboat really high. So if anything can beat those. And the <laughs> films that she wished she had made were twofold. Um, the Double, the Richard Ayoade uh, absurd comedy from a few years ago. And Winnie the Whale or the opera that wanted to sing at the Met, um, a, Dis- a Disney short film from several years ago. Um, so it's time for round two. Katie, what is a yeah. film you like that nobody else does? Well, I picked Soap Dish, but then I realized people actually like that. Because <laughs> um, I remember at uni, uh, that used to be my comfort film. So if I was feeling ill or if I was just feeling really low, I'd be like, I'll oh, put on Soap Dish, watch Kevin Klein, Sally Field, be ridiculous. And my, my roommates were getting really annoyed because they're just like, why do you keep watching this movie all the time? <laughs> It's like because it's a great pick me up, but then that, that, that was I was going by that because everyone in my house hated it. But I think now, as time has passed, it's been like what six years, and I think people are starting to come around to liking the idea of soap dish. But I love it. It's just it's ridiculously funny, and I always love Kevin Klein and everything. You know what's <laughs> funny? I actually don't think I've ever seen it all the way through. Like I think I've seen scenes from it um, now and then, and I wager it's probably somewhere over on our dvd shelf to be honest but i don't i'm pretty sure i've never actually sat down and watched it it's one of these movies it's got a huge cast like sally field and kevin klein and robert Downey jr when he's still really young elizabeth shue Whoopi goldberg um but i don't think it's it's about moriarty oh man it's about um it's about the cast of a soap opera isn't it yeah, it's called the yeah the, the soap is called the sun also sets, <laughs> and it's like a really cheap looking uh, mid afternoon soap opera, and it's it's just it's got all the stupid things like people come back from the dead after they had a severed head. There's a soup kitchen in the middle of the Bahamas or Jamaica. I can't remember where the, the opera set. And um, and then somebody get then a mute attacks somebody and then the mute becomes like the main character and it's just wait how, well, well hold on how does the mute become the main character? Well, Elizabeth Shue plays Sally Field's niece and she's trying to get she decides she wants to be an actress so she sneaks onto the show gets cast as an extra but then the they're trying to get rid of Sally Field because she's like America's sweetheart okay and. Um, well, Kathy Moriarty's trying to get rid of her, and it's see, it's already ridiculous. <laughs> and Elizabeth Shue plays she. They decide to cast her because she looks really angelic as as a murderer and tries to get uh, tries to kill Sally Field's character on screen. But because they don't want to pay her as much money, they make her a mute so she oh gets my no lines. God. 
But then in the middle of the take, she recognizes her niece and then they're just like, what? And then they stop taping and then they decide to bring back the character of the mute. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then just to go through emergency brain surgery at the end. It's oh so ridiculous. <laughs> this film sounds absurd. So when you, when you go and put it on, like, do, do, your, do your friends and family tend to scatter or, or like, is that, is that how you figured out that nobody else likes this movie? Well, yeah, during when I was at uni, yeah, definitely. I put it on and I was like, mm, we're not going to watch this. <laughs> or everyone's like, let's all watch a movie together tonight. And I'm like, let's watch Soap Dish finally. And they're like, nope, we're not going to do that. We're going to watch Hocus Pocus. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you might have been better off with Soap Dish, to be honest. But I, all right. I, I, I think I kind of need to watch that now, which um, that, that may, we'll, we'll see. When, when you see that turn up in my letterbox feed, don't be surprised. Oh, um, yeah. Let's. <laughs> Let's go to the opposite end of the spectrum. What's the film that everybody else digs that you don't? I'm going to go with Lost in Translation here because I just, everyone raves about it and says how amazing it is. But I, I've seen it twice now because I, I was desperate to see it at the cinema when it first came out. And I, I watched it and I was like, why am I watching this movie? I only came here for Bill Murray and it's not worth it. And then I got told after, I think I saw it when I was like 13 or 14 or something. And my auntie at the time was just like, yeah, you don't get it. You're not, you're, not, you're too young to understand. And I was huh. like, how dare you? <laughs> you it doesn't matter what age you are. You can understand a movie in your own way. And to me, I was just like, I don't see the mystical side of this film. All I see is just a very plain movie set in a hotel. Hmm. see so first of all it's um it's funny because i'm pretty sure that answer has come up a few times on this oh, show so so yeah no no you are not alone um and, it, and it's not even one that i i tend to, like I, I know that i i will browbeat people sometimes when their opinion differs from mine and say things like what's wrong with you you know <laughs> or, or just flat out you're wrong um but i i oh no no lost in translation is such um almost an obtuse movie um that's just so stuck in its own loneliness that i totally get how people don't like it um the thing that's been interesting with lost in translation for me um you know if you were to ever like even possibly consider revisiting it is to watch it as a double feature with spike jones her because what you have in the two movies is two sides, two very strange sides of the same conversation. Because in her, um, it's kind of Spike Jones working through the end of his marriage to Sofia Coppola, and Rooney Mara stands in for Sofia uh. Coppola in in that movie. Meanwhile, in Lost in Translation, Giovanni Ribisi stands in for Spike Jones from Sofia Coppola's side of the conversation. And what's really funny is you see one person who says they were really lonely, one person who says they were really isolated and, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, both meanwhile happy. And both films actually have this similar color palette to them. It's really, really wild that these two movies exist. Um, and they kind of, take opposite ends of the same uh, moment in time. So that would be the only thing I'd say is that if you were ever feeling daring, if you were ever feeling like maybe you'd give it one more crack, although if you've given it two shots, I'd, I'd say you've, you've given it its due. Um, yeah. It would it would be to, to watch it with her as, as your lead in. 
well, any excuse to watch her again, because I've actually, I have it on, I've just thought, oh, do I have it on DVD? And I've looked around, and I do. <laughs> I totally forgot I was going to say, I, I'm pretty sure I've just prescribed myself a, a Blu-ray watch of her this afternoon. So again, when you see that show up on my letterbox feed, don't be surprised. Uh, what was one of the last films to make you cry? Recently rewatched uh, A Late Quartet. Oh, okay, and tell people about that one. I don't think people saw that. Yeah, I, I think that's really bad. I've forgotten who the director is, but um, it's got Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh, poor guy. Um, <laughs> Christopher Walken and uh, Catherine Kinnear. It's basically, there are, there's a quartet and there's sort of internal problems. Like Philip Seymour Hoffman plays the second violin, second chair, and he wants to be the first chair. And then the, the actor who's playing the first chair used to sort of have a relationship with Catherine Kinnear, who's actually now married to Philip Seymour Hoffman. And all, while this is all going on, it's a bit of a mess. Um, Christopher Walken's going through his own problems. He's, he's um, I think he's got Parkinson's. Oh, man. He, he can't keep up with the music and he's going to have to retire and the thing is he's the one who brought them all together and he's the glue that keeps them all together and keeps them all sane but he has he's going to have to make the decision to leave but then there's other stuff that happens in it where uh, uh philip Seymour husband's daughter uh comes into it and she plays the violin and she oh. wants to yeah she ends up having an affair with the first violin player oh my god yes and they're they're all a bit Ah, on edge and Philip Seymour Hoffman goes off and he has an affair like randomly because he's just frustrated and everyone's just it, it's all it sounds all like it's crazy but it's actually so calm and quiet most of the time apart from the music in the music you feel everyone just going really like getting out their frustration a bit right but yeah it, it's um it's just basically about a quartet who are on the verge of breaking up and you and it's everyone's going through their own problems. But um, the reason why it made me cry, the first time I saw it at the cinema, I don't know why, but I just burst into tears when I saw it. And then when I came out, I, my parents met me for like lunch or something, and they were just like, "Why are you quiet? What's wrong? Why are you crying?" And I, and I just burst out crying again. I was like, "It was so sad." <laughs> it was just because it was Christopher Walken who made me cry. Because there's a scene where he's just sitting listening to. Um, he's listening to classical music and a woman is singing and i think it's 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 meant to represent his wife who died and i just for some reason i just like i, I just kept crying because i was like this is so sad this is so beautiful oh my god but then i started thinking like it made me think of my granddad and my other granddad and my dad and i was just like this is really sad and i was getting all upset and yeah, even now i'm like quavering because i'm like oh my god the memory of seeing it is just making me cry again oh, wow but yeah, Christopher Walken, man, he makes me cry. <laughs> it, it, it's it's crazy because you know, like he's not the kind of actor that you necessarily associate with with really really moving performances. Usually, you associate him with like with quirky performances or odd yeah. performances. Um, any like anytime you get into classical music, it can it can really just kind of take you into some you know really emotional places. It's, it's oh, yeah. weird because you you wouldn't really think that it could necessarily do that that it's this really really um hoity pursuit or this kind of thing that's really only in the background but it can really be really moving especially when you mm -hmm. grab you when you use it as the as the thrust for a narrative like this that sounds really you know quite personal 
Yeah, it it because sometimes I just go into a movie. I'm just like, I like these actors. I like this director. Yeah, I'll go watch this movie. And then because I was like, Christopher Walken's in it, and Seymour Hoffman. I've got to see this. And then I come out crying my eyes out. I was like, I never expected to go in crying or oh, coming man. out crying. The movie of your life. Who plays you? <laughs> um, well, she's an actress that's actually she's in Submarine and she's in uh, the Double. She has a small part in the Double. Um, her name is Yasmin Page. <laughs> Um, she's a, she's a British actress. Um, she's been in a couple of things on TV in the UK, but I don't know if it's reached over over the Why pond. But, um, oh, I could yeah, I can see that. First of all, when I look at her picture and I think about what I know of you, uh, but why why her? Because she has a similar haircut to me in summary. <laughs> And she's kind, she's like a couple of years younger than me, but I was just like, yes, he has been paid. Because I was thinking, there's loads of, I used to pick America Ferrara, and I was like, uh, one thing, I'm definitely not Latina. But uh, <laughs> I just really like America Ferrara. But um, if I'm going to go by British actresses around the same age who've got dark hair. <laughs> I'm okay. gonna go with Yasmin Page. Good answer. <laughs> I, I, I might have to look up some more Yasmin Page movies. And uh, last but not least, what are you watching next? Um, so apart from London Film Festival, I've got 10 tickets. Woo! Um, so uh, apart from that, I'm actually go. Um, I won a competition uh, for a private screening of a Studio Ghibli movie. Oh, cool. <laughs> and it's being screened tomorrow um, at uh, one of my favorite cinemas in London, uh, the Ritzy. And um, we're seeing Howl's Moving Castle, which I've seen before and I own it on DVD. But the thing is, I want to see it on a big screen and I never got the chance. Yeah. Nice. They're, they're doing that here at the Lightbox as well. There's a, there's a Ghibli retrospective that's happening through November and December. And I'm pretty sure Howl's Moving Castle is one that they're playing here as well. Um, I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be uh, looking for a few of those as well, because when it came the first time I was actually just getting into anime, I'm, I'm kind of a new convert to anime yeah. as, as a as a medium i only really got into it in like 2010 um so there's a lot of them that i now have grown to love that i didn't get a chance to see on a big screen that i'm looking forward to and some that i've actually never even seen like i've never seen um porco rosso <gasps> yeah i know right right so <laughs> i'm i'm gonna when that plays at the light box i'm gonna get a chance to see it not only for the first time but also for the first time on a big screen Oh yeah, it's uh, Pugarosa is quite fun actually, but I've never seen that on a big. The only ones I've seen on the big screen are from up on Poppy Hill, mm-hmm. and actually I think that's the only one. The rest I've seen on DVD. Oh wow! Uh, when it when when the festival came through, when the series came through the last time, I saw Mononoke on a big screen. Um, oh. Yeah, and I saw what was the other one called? There's one where they sing. I think it's called like Country Road or something. Oh. Whisper of the Heart. That's I love it. that movie. Yeah, I saw. So I saw that one on a big screen as well. So I'm I'm gonna have to chase down some of the ones they're 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 bringing through this time. Um, but since you mentioned it, what is one film from London Film Fest that you're looking forward to seeing? Um, it's definitely gonna have to be. I thought it was gonna be my big ticket item. It turned out to be the cheapest one because I picked a weird cinema out on, in the middle of nowhere. Um, it's the Autopsy of Jane Doe. It's uh, it's the same director as Troll Hunter, right? Um, which is why I picked up on it because I was I was just like, yes, he's doing it. And then I <laughs> I thought it was a Nor- I thought it was gonna be a Norwegian movie, but it's not. <laughs> it's actually, <laughs> yeah, it's actually set in America, and oh yeah, Andre Odal. Yeah, I can't pronounce it. It's like Andre Overdal. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, 
yeah, he's. Uh, I love Troll Hunter so much. Every time I see my sister every now and again, I just go Troll because she's seen it too. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I heard good things. I, I I could swear that played at TIFF and that I heard good things. Um, so I'll definitely be looking forward to reading your reaction from uh, from that one for sure. But we have a new uh, film to get to today, um, one that we both watched a little while ago. So come on back right after this quick break. We're going to get into the new slang for this episode. The new slang is Hunt for the Wilder People. So before we get into our conversation about Hunt for the Wilder People, we should mention that both Kitty and I do believe this is a film that you should see absolutely fresh. Um, It's not really a movie that has spoilers, but the inciting incident is something that both she and I didn't want to give away. And yet in our conversation of the film, we're going to have to. So consider yourself warned. Things that we kind of consider spoilers happen early on. We do believe that you should see it without any kind of prior knowledge or prior warning. Just sit back and let it wash over you. But um, there are things that we're going to have to discuss for the purpose of this conversation. So Hunt for the Wilder People. It's written and directed by Taika Waititi. It stars Julian Dennison, Sam Neill, Rima Tawiata, Reese Darby, and Rachel House. It's the story of Ricky. That is Julian Dennison, a juvenile delinquent in the social services system of New Zealand, who has been adopted by a woman out in the bush named Bella and her husband, Uncle Heck. That is Sam Neill. Ricky's a bit of a shit, but Bella really cares for him. However, after a short time, Bella dies, and Ricky is left with the very real possibility that social services will reclaim him and just roll him back into foster care. It's then that he decides to make a run for it. When social services comes looking for him and discovers the place destroyed, they presume that Ricky's been abducted by Heck. The truth is the men have fled into the New Zealand bush in a reluctant search for something better. And now they have both become fugitives from the law. In many ways, this is a story we've seen before. Two unlikely companions on the road overcoming obstacles. And yet, as it plays out, it feels like it transcends into something fresh. Something we haven't seen in a long time. So, pop quiz hotshot. How does Hunt for the Wilder People transcend? How does it become something fresh and something entertaining? I think it's the it's definitely the two characters, because it's bizarre. You've got a 60-year-old grumpy old man who doesn't want to talk to anybody, he wants to be distant, and then you've got a juvenile, you've got a 13-year-old juvenile delinquent practically who happens to be overweight. That's that's actually poked at a little bit in the movie. And he, he believes he wants to, he's a gangster and he calls his dog Tupac. It's just these <laughs> characters. Yeah. I love that. I love that. He called it Tupac. Um, it, I think it's just the two characters putting them in that situation, going into the middle of this New Zealand bush. One of them does kind of knows what's happening. The other one has no idea how to survive, but he's the upbeat one. And then it's like a yin and yang thing. I guess we have seen it before, but I think it's the characters. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> the characters are, are different. Cause usually when you have that 
sort of dynamic it's either a man and a woman one's really posh and one's really poor or something like that and or you've got like family members a brother two brothers or two sisters or something like that with this it's just almost two complete strangers who've been thrown together one's meant to care for the other but then it sort of switches over every now and again yeah i think it's the two characters that make it but i also think the script like there's there's so many random jokes in it. I don't want to spoil them for people, but there, I, I laughed so, so much at the, the two times I've seen this movie. Even though I'd heard it the first time, the second time I was literally like laughing, with, I was crying with laughter at it. The, the, the jokes are just on the nose. You know, you're just reminding me, I've actually never had somebody answer the question in the Know Your Enemy section of a film that made them laugh so hard they cried I, 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 that's kind of my challenge to any of my guests who happen to be listening to this is the next time i say i felt that made you cry somebody needs to say it made me cry with laughter um the other thing that you're reminding me is the dog named tupac it's been 20 years since tupac was shot and he's marked by a dog in a movie that's aw- that's that's awesomely terrible um you know for me when i think about how this movie transcends um i think about the fact that they these two characters ricky and uncle heck for the most of the movie they never really seem to give in to what they feel for one another like there's a lot of moments where they're you know you can kind of see the respect building or you can kind of see the bond forming but at the same time that lasts for maybe a minute or two and then they're back to insulting one another yes so yeah i agree (laughs) yeah like i think that's kind of what i i i think allows this to transcend is even though it's something of a it's almost like a something of a father-son tale after a little while it starts off as these two strangers but after a little while you can really see heck taking on this um you know real patronly character and ricky sort of passing situation that they happen to find themselves in caring more and more about him but at the same time every like their 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 bonds only seem to last a moment or two and then they, you know, get back to just trading shots at one another. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, like, now, obviously, since you, this was this was a film that you suggested we talk about, I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that you really dug this movie. I absolutely love this movie. <laughs> I actually, because when I went to the Edinburgh Film Festival, that was my first film of the, um, no, that was my second film of the day. I, I, had, a, I had a movie at, from Iceland, and it was meant to be a comedy, and I was like, this isn't a comedy. It's really serious and creepy. And then I had 15 minutes to run from one end of Edinburgh to the other end to get to see this one. And I knew it was a premiere and I knew it was uh, Taki, Taki, oh, Takawatiti. Takawatiti, that's it. Because um, I loved his previous movies. So I was like, I've got to see this. And I didn't even know that Sam Neill was in it until I arrived, sat down and it just started. I was like, Sam Neill. Yeah. And from the, from the very, very beginning, I was literally crying with laughter. But what was great is that everybody was crying with laughter as well and it was i've never been in a situation i've never been to a movie where that's happened i've been like there's been movies where half of the audience is maybe really laughing hard or maybe a couple of people or just me and then for this like everybody felt it everybody enjoyed it nobody was sitting there frowning going why is everyone laughing and it was (laughs) it was it was just a feeling of everyone was together and and also the second time i saw it smaller cinema um fewer people but everyone was again they were 
everybody was enjoying it. Everybody was feeling it. Everyone felt involved, even though, you, I, to be honest, I can't relate to any of the characters on the screen, but it was kind of like, it doesn't matter because I'm involved in this story. I, I'm on this journey with them. Oh, that sounds a bit weird, but I'm, I'm with them on this chase, this manhunt, and you, <laughs> you just really want them to get somewhere, even though they're actually not really going anywhere. They're just going further and further into the bush just to get away. There's no real destination, and that's what I quite liked about it. Yeah, it's it's funny that you mentioned that, because when I was putting together the notes for this movie, and I was trying to remember where exactly they're going, like I was, I was like, wait, are they they're going to to get rid of the mom's ashes no they're, they're going to this other place no they're, they'll Mm-mm. be safe like i kept checking off <laughs> potential places and i was like wait where are they going they're just they're going that's all that's all it is really and that's part of the genius of this movie um i spent a lot of time this year bemoaning um the lack of real options at the at the multiplex i i said yeah. that the summer was really terrible and that a lot of the stuff that usually props me up in the summertime just wasn't there now by the time i finally caught up with this in the first weekend of september i realized oh shoot part of this is on me i just you know there were things out there i just didn't find them because (laughs) this film did its little art house run in toronto through uh july and august and i finally caught up with it when it played this little um one screen you know cash only uh, oh wow! Yeah, yeah, little independent theater that's around the corner from me. Um, which on the, like you know, I went on a holiday weekend and the place was packed. I was kind of surprised because this is a kind of theater that I never associate with being busy at all. I think if there's, it, it's it's actually the sort of place where they they have a sign out front that says. If we have less than ten people, we have the right to re- to cancel the show. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I guess it's expensive showing movies. It's similar to you, I I found that like the whole place was in a great mood. Everybody was laughing, and you know, it's it's crazy because on the one hand, this is such a simple concept that we've seen done yeah. so many times, and yet this movie feels so fresh. Um, it feels like it borrows from a lot of great movies and still manages to like put the pieces together in a new way. And I, you know, that was the thing. My, my biggest thought was I can't believe it took me all summer to catch up with this movie. I felt terrible in that moment. (laughs) Well, over here, it's been kind of different. I've been telling, (laughs) I've been telling everyone since June, I'm like, everyone, you got to go see this movie, even though it's not out for about four months, but you got to go see it. (laughs) And then everybody I know, they're going, oh, yeah, Katie, yeah, we're going to see the movie. Okay, okay. And then I'm like, so, what did you think? We loved it! And I'm like, yes, I told you. I'm not exaggerating. Because usually people accuse me of exaggerating things, but... Uh, yeah, you gotta you gotta watch that. If you over like I've been I've been guilty of that before. If you oversell a movie, you got problems, and then people don't trust yeah. you. Yeah, I oversold Arrested Development to someone, and uh, they were really well, angry with me. How, how can you oversell that? <laughs> I kept going on about it. Oh, God. <laughs> it's like you gotta watch it. You gotta watch it. And then they watched it. And it was just like it's okay. I'm like, what's wrong with you? Uh, you know, I love um, I, I love the style of this movie quite a bit. I was I was kind of thinking back on it when I was watching the trailer before this show, and. On the one hand, it's got a very dry and wry sense of humor, like kind of, in a way, kind of a very uh, emblematic of what we saw in uh, his previous film, What We Do in the Shadows, which I think we're probably going to talk about later. Um, Oh, yeah. 
but it's also very western like the it, it in some ways it actually reminded me a lot of an edgar wright film did you get that at all from the from the style of this movie um a little bit uh, there's something about i think it's because i've not seen that many films from new zealand unfortunately but uh compared to a lot of british movies it does sort of it does have elements of British movies. And yes, I can see what you mean by the Edgar Wright, but the, with Edgar Wright, you know, he has like the trademark, like quick cuts and again, like cutting jokes and very dry sense of humor. The film feels like it was because he did really well with what we do in shadows. And then he's gone to make this film that's meant to appeal to, to everybody. So it, it's, it sort of feels like, yes, if this was had, you know, Matt Damon and Matthew McConaughey in these roles, that'd be really weird. But, and <laughs> it would appeal to everybody or meant to appeal to everybody. It'd be a blockbuster film, but he's also gone, do you know what? I'm not going to go that big. I'm going to keep it with old man, teenager and keep it like that, but have a familiar story. So people would be attracted to it. So it, it felt like it was meant to be that big movie that uh, he's made. But he's gone. Nah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> See, for me, I think it's. I think it's also just in the in the humor of it. So, like when we talked about Edgar Wright, um, mm. I think about Shaun of the Dead, for instance. And two of my favorite jokes in that movie are um, when when Shaun is walking through the convenience store. And he just kind of half slips and, and keeps on walking. The implication is that he just – he slipped in blood and didn't even realize it, right? Like, we get it. And, it. and he sells it in a physical way that's just perfect. Anybody else might have actually had him do a pratfall. But mm. Wright has a little bit more of a clever way to kind of tell what has just happened without actually showing what has just happened. And the the other joke is when, when they're trapped in the house and they're looking around for the zombies and he's looking through the mail slot and he looks, oh, it's everybody's things. It's, it's fine out there. Everything's perfect. Oh, wait, no, there they are. And he just like looks to the right and, just, and the camera pans right and you hear like, uh, that, that's one of, that's the kind of thing that Edgar Wright does so well that I really think Taika Waititi does in this movie, um, you know, every time, like, you know, when, when he's, when Ricky's going on his thing about going to hunt for food and he gets yeah. all prepared and he like goes through the bush and comes back and he just holds up some weeds. He goes, what did you just hunt? He goes, Oh, it's a salad, you know, <laughs> like stuff like that. And he says it so matter of factly, um, you know, they, they don't really make the jokes so overly goofy. It's, it's much more wry. And I think that's kind of what I associate between the two. Yeah. I also think I've just said, I think I've also just set a record for the amount of times I've used the word rye in yeah. one episode <laughs> of this show. So apologies to my listeners, but that I think for me is, is the cool, the style of what is clearly British influenced humor. Like if this was an American film, like you mentioned like Matt Damon and, and Matthew McConaughey, I could yeah. totally <laughs> see this film getting remade, but oh. it wouldn't be nearly as funny. Yeah, the thing is, like, it can't be. Oh, you can't remake this movie. It'd be like, oh no, you can't remake it. It wouldn't work. That's why I said Matthew. They McConaughey can't. They, they can't. And yet, at the same time, you think to yourself, they probably will. Yeah, yeah. There's that horrible feeling whenever you see a good movie that's not American. Yeah, you're like, 
they're going to remake this. Don't yeah. remake it, please. Leave it, leave it be. But I, I can see what you mean about the with the subtle jokes and the way Edgar Wright does those, <laughs> those jokes. Actually, they're really good. Yeah. So I'm thinking back to the slipping one. Um, <laughs> I, I see what you mean. I think I'm going to have to include a link for that in the notes for this show, so people can, in case people, in case in the odd way people haven't seen Shaun of the Dead, that they can understand what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, we've got Julian Dennison as Ricky. And, you know, anytime you've got a child at the front and center of your movie, you kind of run a risk because kids can get really pretentious and precocious quite quickly. Mm. But I think I really fell for him because he's a really working class character. You know, you can kind of see that in the way he dresses and the way he thinks this is what cool people wear, right? Even though he looks absolutely absurd wearing these, wearing the clothes that he's wearing a very, very garish, especially when he gets out into the bush. It's garish. When he does the zip up hoodie. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's, it's, it's like, you know, yes. Sorry, kid. You're not strutting down the streets of Compton in 1992. (laughs) You, You, you are in New Zealand. Why don't you dress a little bit more towards what you, what you're, your environment is dictating and then yeah once you get him out into the forest he's he's got that gangster life thing and that's kind of what makes him so amusing but he's also i i guess i kind of also liked him because he's so working class like he's he's much more uh down to earth than uh, you know a rich brat and and that's yeah. also of course what puts him into the situation of social services oh i loved him ricky baker he um <laughs> I, I, I liked him because you don't usually see, again you don't usually see that type of character in and he's usually like the best friend or the the funny best friend or the dumb one or the bully or something but he's not he's as you said he's front and center and he he, he i'm gonna have to say it, he's a he's a fat teenager and he's the star of the show usually you'd find those those kind of characters maybe in a teen movie or a rom-com but in this He's he's going through his own personal journey from trying to get out of the system and wanting to start and wanting to have a be part of a family, and he, he as you said he is down to earth and I love the aspect of his character that that, that says little haikus every now and again really mm-hmm. randomly mm-hmm. and I was just thinking about like the fact that he once he always saying the skunk's life didn't cho- uh, didn't choose me no we didn't choose the skunk's life the skunk's life chose us and. <laughs> It's like a little motto he has, and it's it's completely off. He doesn't have a scuck's life at all. He's just been unlucky, yeah. And he's been had some hard times. He lost his friend, and he sort of goes through it sort of matter matter of factly. Like he doesn't sit there and whine about it. He just goes, yeah, this happened, but we move on. We do this, and and I just I thought he was he was funny, and he was also real. You know, he didn't feel fake or like he was putting a lot of effort into what he was doing. It just felt real. Yeah. Like I, I feel like I've met that kid in, in travels here and there. Right. It, it kind of feels like a film that um, a film that's coming in the next few weeks is um, Andrea Arnold's American honey, um, where it's got a whole bunch of like down on their luck, blue collar American teenagers and like, like early twenties. And I kind of feel again, I, they're, they're people I feel like, I've passed them at a gas station or I've passed them on the road or I've passed them in a mall and I've, and I've actually seen them. I feel very much like 
I've seen somebody like Ricky Baker when I'm going from A to B and even heard him talking with his friends and just never really thought, hey, there's a movie there. Um, the, yeah. other thing, the other thing about him is Julian Dennison's face is so expressive. He's He's almost perfectly spherical and i know that that sounds terrible <laughs> to say but he's he's a husky kid and i say that as a former husky kid um <laughs> who's you know his face is his head is very very round and his eyes are kind of huge so he always has this way of really sticking out from everything around him every time he's like he's off in the forest or when he's in these shelters um or or when he's in the the, the, the cabin and it, it suits him. It really helps focus the story on him and, you know, draw our attention in. I, 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 you're right. In any other movie, he would be, you know, the, the best friend. It's really cool to see this kind of kid get his own movie. On the other side of it, we've got Sam Neill and oh, yeah. how he plays Heck. And, <laughs> on the, you know, it, it kind of writes itself. You've got a curmudgeon and, and you just grow a beard and away you go. But yeah. he has this way of kind of weaving in and out of the grumpiness. How did, how did you dig Sam Neill in this movie? Um, well, because I didn't know he was in it. First of all, I well, there's, really yeah, happy. me neither. Actually. <laughs> he showed up. I was, I was like, like, what the hell? Sam Neill's in this. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I just, I thought he was brilliant. I thought he was as funny at, well, probably not as funny as Ricky Baker, but he has, I don't know. He's sort of, he's now he's at that age. He can do that role. Cause if he was maybe in younger, I don't think he could pull it off. Yeah. But now he's at that perfect age where he's like, I'm old now. I don't care. And it's sort of like, he's bringing his own <laughs> grumpiness to it. Um, sort of like uh, what Harrison Ford has started doing, right? Yes. Oh God. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Harrison Ford, you can, but the thing is with Harrison Ford, you can see it. He's turned up on set and he's like, I'm here to play the grumpy old man. Yeah, okay. But with Sam Neill, it doesn't feel like that. No. It feels like he wants to be there yeah. and he's enjoying it. Even though he's having his foot broken, he's being chased, he's being called a molester. <laughs> you know, he's he's happy to be there. Whereas Harrison Ford just looks like he doesn't want to be there and he's just picking up a check. Yeah. <laughs> Now, the one thing I do kind of wonder about when I think about this movie is, you know, now don't get me wrong. I know it's a farce and I know it's absurd and everything like that. But is social yeah. services too much in this movie? <laughs> because I sort of feel at a certain stage, they cross a line. And I know it's a comedy and I know it's supposed to be kooky and all. No, but, no, um, you know, <laughs> beyond just what Rachel House does as Paula, who... She almost steals the show. Every time she opens her mouth, she just seems to get more and more outlandish. But was there a moment where you thought to yourself, okay, I think we've gone too far? No, I actually really loved it. Because, it, oh. you know, you couldn't, just have, uh, you couldn't just have Ricky Baker and Heck trekking through the bush all the time. Having her in those breaks was just great. And, the, I, yeah, she does cross the line definitely when she gets a tank involved. <laughs> She's also turned, she, it's kind of like she ended up in child services, but she's obviously in the wrong profession. Yeah, <laughs> and she's no just kidding, trying to make the most of it. And I like the fact that it just went from, okay, we're going to hunt him down. Okay, right, we're going to start a manhunt. Okay, I'm in, I'm wearing, what was she wearing? She was wearing like a bulletproof vest. And then, <laughs> she's, then she went into, I'm in a tank and I've got my hair flowing out. I'm like a warrior woman. And then when uh, da the, the officer, Danny, I think his name's Danny, yeah. he turns to her and says, Forget it, it's over. She's kind of like, oh. 
And that's what I, that's why I liked her because she sort of <laughs> went beyond the crazy spectrum and it worked for this because obviously the end scene is just insane. But um, <laughs> I like the fact that it kind of went over the top. It kind of needed it because I felt Heck and Ricky, uh, are, well, they're quite grounded. They do go a bit crazy, but the thing is they're still in the realm of, yeah, this could happen, I suppose. Everything outside of what happens to them is crazy. And having her like do getting crazier and crazier and crazier was just so much fun. <laughs> we, we want them dead and alive. Oh, sorry. What? Alive. Definitely alive. alive. Yeah. You know, so, <laughs> good grief. It's, it, it, Love it. I mean, if you're going to up the ante of this movie and that, and that's the thing is that it seems like they're in this thing to take a bad situation and make it continually worse. Um, maybe that's a good way to do it. And, and it certainly does, you know, make what Ricky and heck is, are doing seem more plausible because that, that, that's the craziness seeing them just kind of wander off. Mm. You'd think to yourself, this is, insane what the heck are they doing like i said i don't even know where they're going and i've seen this movie um but yet having a group like that continue to give chase and continue to stoke this myth it, yeah it, it, it probably it's not a great idea on paper but it, it works out so well in the end result yes because <laughs> i think i think in they they needed that because as much as i'd love to just see them the the two guys just wandering around the bush and then going through their own personal journey, you need the crazy journey on the outside. Because if it wasn't for the outside people, you wouldn't have the wilder people going on their journey. Yeah, that because they wouldn't have gone. They would have just gone back to back to the burnt out husk home. <laughs> that they have. And like but smelling the ashes for where are you, Ricky Baker? It's like you can't tell anything by smelling the ashes. What are you even doing? This woman's insane. And yet, at the same time, you kind of feel like there are people out there who have been promoted into positions like Paula of social welfare, where they got to where they were just because they, you know, said the right thing to the right person, and they are so completely unqualified for what they're doing. Yes, yes, yeah. It's <laughs> you sort of just fell into it. Yeah, it's not a complete fiction, people. Uh, a funny thing that happened actually with Sam Neill when he was um, when the film came out in New Zealand and it was a kind of a big movie there as well because I had family out there going oh, I wasn't going to see this but now that I've seen you go on about it I'm definitely going to go and watch it and they all loved it <laughs> but um, he actually went out to loads of little remote towns and villages in New Zealand oh, and then cool. he yeah, he just got out of the car and started yelling every yeah, go, Hunt for the Wilder People is out and he would tell them where it was showing near them. <laughs> he just <laughs> He was just driving around the countryside doing that. And I thought, that's amazing. That's just brilliant. I think it's it just free PR. Imagine like Sam Neill pulling up in your in your road or something and just going, Hunt for the Wilder People is out now. It's showing at these places near you. <laughs> I mean, there's word of mouth marketing and then there's word of there's literally word of mouth marketing. And, and then yes. I, I, <laughs> I don't think it's ever actually what I assume, but that's a that's an incredible way to do it. <laughs> I thought that was brilliant. A nice touch. It's very typically New Zealand. Definitely. We end our reviews here on the matinee cast with a souvenir, something tangible or intangible that you would uh, take with you, um, take from this movie and keep if you could. Katie Hogan, what would be your souvenir from Hunt for the Wilder People? Well, I was thinking I'd take Tupac, but... <laughs> <laughs> he is, he is a quite, a, quite a noble dog. 
Yeah, or Zag. Or, um, but I think I'd take Ricky Baker's book of his haiku poems because at one point he's writing them all down. And I was like, oh, I wonder what he's written. Yeah, I'd you only that. hear one. That's for sure. Um, yeah. For me, it's actually kind of an inspiration. Is I, I want to go on a hike through the bush. Um, you know, I, I know every time we see New Zealand in a film, it seems more and more that I look at it and go, why haven't I been there? Um, there's, there is a joke in this movie about Lord of the Rings. Um, yes. and, oh my God. <laughs> and it's both well staged and then the joke itself is well played. But Lord of the Rings didn't even really do it for me as much as this movie and just kind of seeing that forested area that i feel like i was like i really want to go on a hike now i haven't been on a hike in so long but i want to go um that would be my souvenir is is to to kind of fly to new zealand so that i can follow the ricky baker trail i know people do the hobbit trail i don't give a crap about that i want to walk the ricky baker trail yeah i'd do the hobbit trail because i i love the lord of the rings movies oh, <laughs> actually, there's, do, there's no help people but the ricky baker trail would be amazing to go on That's and also the, the, the places where they go there's that bit where um they're they're sitting by a gigantic lake and ricky's like oh is this where bella was talking about where she used to go or said where she was going to go to the sky and that just that um, that scene i was like i want to be there now yep. it's amazing yeah me too well we rate here on the matinee cast on a scale of one to four stars katie hogan what do you give hunt for the wilder people four four it's gotta be four uh, all right nice um <laughs> it just missed it for me i think it might be that kind of comedy that i i grow into just a little bit more with a few more rewatches it's like three and a half and i mean a really really positive three and a half it didn't quite get to the four for me but this is a really really good movie that i really hope people catch up with before the end of the year um i really want to see it on a lot of people's year-end lists and both katie and i really think that this is the kind of movie you should track down if you haven't seen it already um i imagine it's going to be hitting like on demand and blu-ray in the weeks ahead so do yourself a favor people track this down hey listen maybe you think we're both crazy maybe you think that this movie is not nearly as good as we're making it out to be um maybe you think we're underselling it maybe you think it's the greatest movie of all time let me know ryan at the matinee ca twitter where i'm matinee underscore ca or facebook.com slash dark matinee what do you think of hunt for the wilder people we are going to do something a little bit different with the other side um we're going to talk about a bunch of movies um that this movie made us think of and that we think you would make a great further viewing after hunt for the wilder people so come on back after this quick break we're gonna talk about some more films So ordinarily, in this section of the film, we would talk about two separate movies that we believe would make uh, good uh, further reading after the main uh, uh, feature. Uh, however, for various reasons, we couldn't quite settle on two um, that we wanted to pay our attention to this week. Katie and I also had a bit of a busy week, so we couldn't really fit in two more movies specifically. So we do apologize to the actual, uh, you know... Sorry, teach dog ate our homework. Um, however, <laughs> what we did decide to do is just kind of um, give you a bunch of movies that came to mind. And uh, Katie, I'll let you get us going. What was what was a movie that came to mind that you think people should go on to if they enjoyed uh, Hunt for the Wilder People? 
Well, definitely, I don't think you're going to mention this one, but uh, definitely um, Watiti's previous movies. Um, so what they do, what we do in Shadows, and Eagle versus Shark. Even though it's meant to be a weird rom com, but it's still two weird people. So <laughs> that's my connection to Hunt for the Wilder People. Two yeah. unlikely characters at the center. You know, I've I've never seen Eagle versus Shark, and for some <laughs> stupid reason, I never put two and two together that that was him. <gasps> he's actually in it for a very small moment and it's oh, got Jermaine Clement in it as well. Yeah, you know, that was the thing. So I, I knew it ha- had Jermaine Clement and Jermaine Clement is in what we do in the shadows as well. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. And, but so for some crazy reason, I assumed it was more like the flight of the Concords people. I didn't realize it was Taika Waititi. Um, this guy who we're talking about, we should tell people just in case they don't know. Um, mm. He really kind of rose to prominence with what we do in the shadows, which dropped, two years ago it's a mockumentary about vampires um and a really really funny one by the way um he is actually about to kind of make the jump to the big time he's directing the next thor movie um and i'm not sure i feel about that in what way like you want him to to keep making his small movies or you wanted somebody else directing thor or you're not crazy about thor or what oh i know i love thor uh, as much as the next person um (laughs) i'm more of a captain america fan but um i just i don't think this is his movie to go big on okay if you know what i mean i don't think it's that movie to make the jump to hollywood so i was kind of still hoping he'd be making smaller movies like this maybe because there was talk about um a sequel to what we do in shadows about the werewolves yeah that's coming (laughs) (laughs) And, and there's a talk of a tv show as well so i'm just thinking like if he kept making smaller movies for a little bit longer and then made the jump to to hollywood on something else that wasn't marvel because as much as i love marvel i just find that they they find like really good directors who have been making small movies or movies that aren't related to superhero movies at all and take them and then sort of trap them and then they, i feel like they're a bit jinxed afterwards because hmm. because right? uh, and i just worry that because i love shane black and I didn't really like Iron Man 3. But then he went and made The Good Guys, so that was okay. But I just feel like the, the films before Shane Black made, I was I really liked. And then I just, it just wasn't right for Iron Man 3. It didn't really work. That's why I'm worried that this is going to happen to Watiti. Because I, I, I don't put Watiti and Thor together in the yeah. same room. Well, so it's, it okay, there, you you've unpacked a lot of things in one in one little Sorry. go. There. No, 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 it's great. Um, don't don't apologize. Um, the first thing that's kind of interesting is, um, you know, at the risk of opening up a very very large can of worms, we hmm. some friends here in town and I have had long conversations, and I've had conversations with my wife about um, the ongoing discussion about how all of these franchises haven't been hiring. Uh, women to lead their projects unless of course it happens to be a film about a female superhero and those are in Mm. short supply and then it's like you have to hire a woman otherwise you're you know you're really really going against brand and what has come up on more than one occasion is somebody would say to me i don't want 
you know, to bring her up again in this episode, I don't want Andrea Arnold to go make an Iron Man movie. I want Andrea Arnold to make Andrea Arnold movies. And all the time she spends making an Iron Man film is one or two less Andrea Arnold movies that I get, which you could apply that to any independent filmmaker, right? Like you could certainly apply it to Taika Waititi as you have. And, and And you're right. I would rather he took the two years that he spent on Thor and cranked out two more movies like Hunt of the Wilder People or, um, you know, or, or What We Do in the Shadows. At the same time, I think to myself a couple things. I think to myself, in th- so the next Thor movie is going to be Thor and Hulk going through this kind of singular okay. adventure. <laughs> and when I think about what Ricky and Heck just went through on the road, I think to myself what is this man going to do when he takes those qualities and applies it to Thor and Hulk? Mm. Right. I I suppose. So it's, it's going to give something that's, that's running the risk of becoming very stale and predictable. Just that little bit of infusion of life. Maybe. I suppose actually I really like the first um, Thor movie because it was Kenneth Branagh. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah, we forget he, that He brought his we? sort of jest to it, and he also brought his love of Shakespeareanness to uh-huh. it. But he also had comedy. Yes, and I suppose like with Watiti doing Ragnarok, I think he could bring his own sort of comedic. Yeah, exactly. Like that's that is what I think he is going to be doing. I think he's really going to be infusing their 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 chemistry, the chemistry of Bruce Banner and Thor in in this adventure with what he had with ricky baker and uncle heck the thing is i he could do that but my worry is that be the fanboys out there there are so many fanboys out there and i have a feeling if there's too much i don't know comedy or too much quirk to it they're gonna they're gonna be in an uproar and don't screw them no 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 they've had enough of their properties i don't care i don't care what the fanboys (laughs) think screw that Um, i'm worried they're gonna like if they'll sort of bad mouth with ET's future projects and it's like you can't compare like but it, his future projects that I, I'm just thinking ahead yeah. and getting worried about it yeah <laughs> I, 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 you're right and I'm sure they, they very well may say what is this guy doing with, with my character but at the end of the day he'll just he'll take his very very large paycheck and he'll go make probably four movies for what <laughs> he got paid to make one and that that's the great thing it, it's you know yeah it's mercenary but screw it it gives us two or three more taika watiti movies i'll take that you know okay um for me i think the one the first one that came to mind was actually one that i watched as a blind spot last year and have you ever seen a movie called midnight run oh i've read i read your post about that but yeah no i haven't seen it but i've read your post <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen I'm, I'm glad somebody is so don't worry <laughs> um midnight run is another one of these buddy uh, buddy on the road movies from 1980s. I think that one was 1988. It was, um, look at me go. Um, it was, um, it's Charles Grodin and Robert De Niro, um, with, uh, one playing a bounty hunter and the other playing, um, a fleeing bookkeeper. And the, the, he's bringing him, he's say, so, sort of similar to what we see heck and Ricky go through. One is, is guiding the other, you know, to, to, to the destination. And in a way it's kind of a movie I feel like has gotten lost in one generation going over to the other. Cause you don't really hear people talking about midnight run. Uh, you know, anyone who's like under 30 
it's not the kind of movie that comes up, but it, like it was a huge hit back in the day. And it, it's one of these very, um, it's one of these very, very prototypical road movies for sure. And it was definitely one that came up when I thought about, uh, you know, two characters on the road for sure. Yeah, I can see how that works. Actually, I, the other actually I, that makes me think of the other one I wrote down. So I, <laughs> I thought of Moonrise Kingdom. Oh yeah, because two, okay, they're, they're two children, but they go off into the wilderness like Heck and Ricky, and also the rest of the island are sort of searching for them. So it's a manhunt. So I, and they're all uh, so the, the the I saw the likeness there between two innocent people who just want to be left alone. <laughs> going off into the wilderness not knowing what to do and then they're chased down manhunted by the boy scouts <laughs> well and the, the other cool thing about um moonrise kingdom as a marry up is again you well one again you have social services um tilda yes. swinton like playing of goddamn glorious social services in that movie so good call there <laughs> and as well you have a couple characters who were kind of overreacting um, which I, like, I think that was part of what really makes it like, I, you know, I know I said, is social services getting so absurdly <laughs> off base, but really and truly that's what makes the movie. And, and, yeah. and anytime you have bureaucrats overreacting as they do in Moonrise Kingdom, um, yes. even, even just Edward Norton's Scoutmaster, there's a lot of times where he really goes <laughs> off the handle. Um, so no, that, that would definitely, it's, it's, it's been a while since I watched that one actually. Uh, did you get around to Swiss Army Man? No, that's only just come out over here. Okay, so but, first uh, of all, first of all, make that one a priority because it's really good. It is such a hard movie to sell, which you'll understand when you see it because it's really not about what they're making it seem like it's about. It's not about this cadaver being a gizmo that can get him out of all these situations. It's not, it's not about a body that can work as a can opener and a harpoon and a compass, right? Yes. Yeah, Swiss army man is definitely, you know, it, it is about those things, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's about so much more. And it is two people working through something when they're isolated out in the wilderness. And it's a very, very like radically different movie than hunt for the wilder people but it is also one that's so good and does something very very different with two people just you know walking through the bush okay i have seen the trailers and i was looking forward to seeing it but i've just been waiting for it to come out because yeah. i remember it being sold as uh because i was reading on a website that kept going on about the fact that um daniel radcliffe had to have a prosthetic ass made for yeah. him because there's several scenes Yes, things shoved up it. Yeah. He'd have to have it attached. I was thinking, this is how the movie's being sold. But then I was thinking, Paul Dano's in it. Then it's, it's going to have some kind of new take on uh, two people stranded on an island or in the wilderness. Is it an island or is it in the wilderness? Yeah. It starts on an island, and when you like when you see that scene that they're using to sell the movie of. Daniel Radcliffe being basically being turned into a human jet ski. They move from the <laughs> island to the mainland, but even when ah. they're on, even when they're on the mainland, they're still out in the wilderness in the mainland. Um, it's it, it's an incredible movie, and it really does something very very different with two people being stuck out in the bush. Um, so I'd, I'd suggest that one if people like Hunt for the Wilder People, move on to Swiss Army Man. 
Well, I think that's uh, that's certainly a lot of good uh, for the like you know if you even if you just watch those movies together, I think we could give people mm-hmm. a good little weekend of of cinema for sure. Um, oh, yeah. And and if you don't have access to Hunt for the Wilder People and you want to just get yourself in the mindset while you wait for it to turn up on demand and on Blu-ray, then that's a that's a good little way that you can get just a taste and uh, you know you're, maybe your your wait will be a little bit shorter. But that's it for episode 164 of the Matinee Cast. Come on back. On Monday, October 10th, we're coming back on short rest for episode 165. Not sure what we'll be talking about just yet. It might be American Honey. It might be Girl on the Train. It might be Birth of a Nation. Um, So come on back and we'll figure out what movie we're going to watch together. Katie is at shelikesmovies.blogspot.com. You got anything coming up this week that you want to plug? Well, I've got my late blinds block. Of course, yes. (laughs) My late one always. Um, I've just written that. I think I sent it over. It's uh, I saw I finally saw Breakfast at Tiffany's. So that's what I've got on my blog at the moment. And I've also got uh, what I did over the week over the last weekend at Empire Live. I saw mm-hmm. a few things there. Um, I, that's where I saw War on Everyone, which I thought was already out, <laughs> <laughs> but Apparently it's not. not. It, it's um my John Michael McDonough movie. Um, he did Calvary and The Guard. So and uh, this one is just about two terrible two terrible cops who are really awful. Uh, they, they take bribes. They do drugs with criminals. Um, <laughs> they drink and drive all the time. They run over mimes. It's pretty good. <laughs> Very cool. And of course, uh, people can look forward to your dispatches from the London Film Festival. Yes, that will be, uh, the film festival starts actually on the 5th of October, and my first movie is on the 6th, it's on the 6th, I'm seeing a Norwegian movie called Pyromaniac, so I will start posting, yes, Nice. (laughs) really excited about that one. Cool, and I'll include a link to uh, where where else you can find Katie's work in the show notes of this show. My site is thematinee.ca for more audio content, we can find back episodes by going to thematinee.ca slash podcasting, you can also find them on Pocket Cast, Stitcher Radio, Blueberry, Apple's podcast app, and the iTunes store. Everything gives you handy ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop. Feedback on Hunt for the Wilder People or any of those movies that we mentioned as further viewing can be left in the comment section of the site. You can email ryan at thematinee.ca, Twitter, where I'm matinee underscore CA, or facebook.com slash darkmatinee. Any final thoughts, Ms. Hogan? The final thought, I think I need to move today. And also, I'm going to sit down and watch a movie. I'm going to watch the rest of The Dressmaker. That's my final thought. Good work. I like that. For Katie, I'm Ryan. We'll see you at the back.